It is Wednesday, July 13th, 2022. It's Justin Shackle welcoming you to episode 43 of Towing the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. James Smythe and myself are with you. David is recovering from hip replacement surgery. We wish him our best. We were told it was a success, but he needs to skip a start here. So we decided to bring in one of the more lethal relievers you are seeing in the big leagues today. It is New York Yankees reliever Michael King filling in as a co-host this week. And Michael, congratulations, man. This is huge because now you can post it on your resume that you are a podcast host, my friend. <laughs> Welcome back to Toe in the Slab. I think I'm a little more nervous doing this than actually fishing. So uh, we'll, we'll see how good I do. <laughs> it's all good. Friendly conversation, quick chat about pitching. Obviously, that's what we do each and every week here on this episode. You were gracious enough to give us some time right before the season started, I think. We were in the lockout. So we were touching on a lot of different topics than what we would touch on now as we are fastly approaching the all-star break here. But you and the Yankees, you're coming off a weekend split in Boston. And James, I know you are up at Fenway as well. And I'm curious because Michael, us three with David, we talked about last week, you know, how much juice was there going into this series with the fan atmosphere at a place like Fenway with so many games in between the Yankees and the Red Sox. So I'm kind of curious here, like what did, what did both of you notice as far as the atmosphere goes in the ballpark with that much distance in the standings, James, let's uh, let's begin with you. What did you notice in the booth as you were doing stats on yes? Well, first of all, I was only there for Thursday and Friday's games because Saturday was Fox and Sunday was ESPN. But one thing that jumped out to me was how many Yankee fans were there? It was great to see. For Yankees Red Sox, whether it's at Fenway or in the Bronx, I think it's usually like 70-30 in favor of the home team as far as uh, the amount of people there that are fans of that team. I think it was closer to 50-50 for Yankee Sox this weekend. Interesting. Did you sense that, Michael? I, I would agree, especially on that Thursday and Friday because we were winning. Um, <laughs> yeah. And – you could definitely sense uh, the the atmosphere on Saturday and Sunday when we started to lose or, or they started to sense a, a comeback brewing um, or just a win brewing for them. Um, but, yeah, there, there are a lot of uh, let's go Yankee chants, which I don't think I've ever heard of Fenway before. Um, and they would slowly get drowned out by the booze of the Red Sox fans, but they they were able to hold hold pretty strong. So I do agree that uh, we, we had a, a lot of Yankee fans travel with us. Um, but once, once the Red Sox took a lead and on Saturday and Sunday, it definitely swung back towards the, the Red Sox. <laughs> I'm sure you were hearing it plenty, uh, in the bullpen out in right field too. It, as much as like, there's, it's terrible seating in the bullpen. It's a terrible view from that bullpen. It's, it's pretty fun because you get the like drunk idiots that are literally within <laughs> four feet of you as you're warming up. Um, as you're running in from that corner, it's just the loudest booze you've ever heard. So it, it's actually, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, I, I think it's, it's fun to get booed. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's always a great atmosphere when we go to Fenway. Yeah, I feel like the visiting bullpen at Fenway is probably one of the very few in the league where you could actually smell the booze coming from the stands because <laughs> you're that close to the fans. Oh, yeah, um, yeah we, we, we heard let's go Yankee chants. We heard MVP chants for yep. Aaron Judge through the TV. So it was, it was electric, even though, like we mentioned, you know, there's a double digit lead between you guys and the rest of the uh, AL East here. And you're also coming off an off day. You're coming out of an off day. I should say, are you uh, are you a guy that likes to do activities on the day off or kind of just veg out at home? I, 
I go back and forth. I think that our off days that this year have been actually terrible. If you look at our schedule, we're playing night games all the time and then having to travel. So a lot of times we're not getting until four or 5 a.m. Um, and then we have an off day and it's tough to, to do anything on that off day when you get in at 5 a.m. Um, so even last night, it was the night game at Fenway. Um, I actually went home to Rhode Island, but and just kind of chilled at my, at my home, uh, my parents' home in Rhode Island. But um, I, I give a lot of props to the guys that do stuff. I remember when the Rangers were in the playoffs and like DJ Rizzo and Judge went to a Rangers game. And it was like, I think we got in from, from Toronto that night at 5 a.m. Like I saw the, the sunrise and then there was the, that Rangers game. And I'm like, I just don't want to do a damn thing. So I, I give him props for actually doing something. I know you guys just finished a, a stretch of like 20 games in 20 days. That was well-documented on every broadcast that we were a part of and on the TV broadcasts. Do we make a bigger deal out of that in the media? Like, is that as grueling? as we make it sound? I think it just be, it starts to become routine. Um, and, and we we just are doing our job every day. Um, it's also great when we're winning. I'd say we feel it more if we have a like, a, like an eight and 12, 20 game stretch. Um, but when, when you're winning, it's, it's a lot more fun to be in that locker room and want to kind of continue that, um, that winning streak. So I, I really don't mind it, um, but once that off day actually comes, you definitely feel the like sense of relief and just kind of, kind of chill. All right, look, we're going to get into a bunch of interesting pitching topics that I think relate to the season you're having the season that we're seeing out of the, the Yankee bullpen, but also just all around baseball because the trends are there for every team, but with the Yankees as efficient as you guys have been in the pitching department, you're kind of leading a lot of these trends that we're seeing around the game. So it's a cool time to get your thoughts here. We're also going to have this week in pitching history. We'll have three up three down as we normally do. We're going to get into the opener and you're going to take the reins here, just like David would. But I think before that, we got to address the elephant in the room here, man. All stars were selected. They were revealed over the weekend you're an all-star. I mean, you are statistically one of the most valuable relievers in the game. If you look at F war, if you look at B war, like you are there, you're, you're one of the top three relievers. James obviously could back it up with hard evidence. My question is now that we know who is going at the moment, do you make plans for the all-star break? Or are you kind of just on standby here? I've had plans uh, to go to my girlfriend's beach house for a couple months now. Um, and, you know, I, I had a, a lot of teammates and coaches tell me that um, I should expect to go or um, whatever this is leading up to the votes. Um, and I'm looking around at this league and there are some stud relievers and starters and everything. So I really had no expectations. Uh, I, I think it's it's incredible that six of my like, best friends, teammates and everything are able to represent the Yankees. Um, and I'm, I'm just cheering them on. Um, I know Booney said that there's still chances because like Cole said, he's not going to pitch in the, in the all-star game. So there are still like the alternates that, that could do it. Um, so we'll see about that, but I'm, uh, I'm taking it as a win-win. I either get three days off and get to chill at a beach or, uh, I get to do my first all-star game, which would, which would be really cool. So I, I'm happy either way. Um, and I'm just really happy for our, our six guys. Which beach are you going to? Potentially beach. Uh, so she has a place on uh, Long Beach Island. That's uh, that's where her, her house is. So I'm, uh, 
I've been there a couple times and it's, it's like paradise. So it's, it's good. So are you more team Cape Cod or team Jersey shore? You know, I, I'm going to have to do like Jersey shore ish because the only, I was only in the Cape for, uh, for that summer uh, when I played in college and never have gone back. I honestly think that's the only time I've ever been to the Cape. So, um, I've never really experienced a Cape, so I can't even say that I. Right, so how about like the New England beaches? Are you going to take them over the Jersey Shore, or you? I'd say that the thing about her, where her house is located, it's very quiet, and I love that. The beaches that I go to in Rhode Island are just jam packed, and as much as that's fun sometimes, when you're trying to chill, it's awesome when you go out to the beach and you can literally sit wherever you want. You can walk down the beach and only see a couple people, so um, it, it's uh, it's it's a really good spot. Nice. James, we were talking about it last week about the roster construction for these all-star teams. And yeah, where, I mean, we, we see the rosters, there are limited relievers, a lot of starters for both leagues. That wasn't the case for the national league last year. I think they had six or seven relievers go. And I know it's less than five here this year. Were you, were you surprised about the pitching selection for each roster? Yeah, it's tough. The American league split eight starters, four relievers, it's seven to five for the National League. And it's hard to make it work when you have to have a representative from each team. And it's hard for guys to get selected when they don't have big save totals. You usually don't see uh, non-closers. Uh, it's harder for them to make the all-star team. It's, it's a tough spot. Hey, you. Yeah, you. You got Bush? So that's a question we could actually utter out loud to one another, thanks to our friends at Manscaped. And you definitely do if you have not tried the best Manscaped products. Taking control of all of that down there, it's really important. And these products are so good, you're going to be showing pride in your new bush-free yard. So save big and be the most hygienic version of yourself by using the discount code SLAB. That's S-L-A-B for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Whether you are looking to go bald like an eagle or just need a safe trim here, Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. The grooming package that I highly recommend, it's called the Performance Package 4.0. Inside the package, the Lawnmower 4.0, it's an electric trimmer, and it will become your bush's worst nightmare. The trimmer is designed to reduce grooming accidents and shave hair, on that loose skin, thanks to a ceramic blade and advanced skin-safe technology. And there's no need for any night vision goggles. This trimmer has an LED light to allow you to mow the lawn in the dark. It's basic landscaping, people. When you trim the hedges, the tree stands taller. The second best tool in the performance package is the Weed Whacker. This is a fine-tuned nose and ear hair trimmer, and it'll make, you sure, it'll make sure that your nasty nose hairs are under control. Instantly add some pep in your step with the Crop Preserver, the Ball Deodorant, and the Crop Reviver Spray-On Testy Toner. And with the Performance Package purchase, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped Boxers. They have a bunch of other products on their website to help you maximize your confidence and step up your grooming game. Again, 20% off and free shipping with our code SLAB at manscaped.com. That's 20% off. With free shipping at manscaped.com, use our code SLAB. It is time you level up with the ultimate bushwhacking tools from Manscaped. All right, so the opener, Michael. I know you touched on it briefly. What do you, what do you want to shed some light on here with us this week? 
So I would, one, I obviously with the All-Star game coming up and the selection just happening, uh, I wanted to highlight the guys that made it from our team and also kind of give a little insight into the clubhouse. Um, and Booney had his uh, meeting with us to announce them. Um, and I, I just thought it was a cool experience. I think last year um, when the All-Stars were selected, I was actually hurt. So I never was part of that meeting. I don't remember that meeting happening last year. Um, so I, I just thought it was a, a fun, a fun little uh, experience for me just to see all the guys and they already knew and everything, but it's just cool to see the other players reactions. And I think it, it shows uh, how close knit we are as a group because of how excited everybody was for all the, the six guys. It was actually seven because our, our strength coach um, is the all-star strength coach there. So we have seven representatives going, um, but should I just jump right in? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I had no idea what the meeting was going to be about. And on our schedule, we just had a, a it listed 15 minutes um, before our pitcher stretch to, to uh, have a team meeting in the clubhouse. And it was at Fenway. And um, right as soon as Booney started talking, I understood what it was for. And I'll get, I'll get over the, the good guys quick because there's nothing really to say about Judge and Stan starting the game. Um, it's, I think it's Judge's fifth, fourth start. Um, I think it's Stan's first as a Yankee. Um, that's what Booney was saying. So, uh, and it's awesome that he's starting too. So those are the guys that knew that it was coming already and, and there's no big celebration for them. Um, but having them say Trevino, Nestor, and Clay, I thought was the coolest part. Um, Trevino immediately put his hands in his, in his face um, and could not have taken a smile off his face the whole time. Uh, he's all, also already an emotional guy, um, but having the year that he had, I thought was absolutely incredible um and and he totally deserves it uh, you can bring up some stats here but he has to be the best defensive catcher in the league and he went on a stretch where he was mr clutch for us um and his bat totally came alive and instead of him just being like the eight hole defensive first catcher that we're just kind of sacrificing his at bat ended up being one of the better hitters on our team for a good a good month or two stretch um and it, it, it's awesome to see that that he uh, was able to get that all-star selection Nestor was, I think, kind of freaking out about it a little bit. And he knew that he had Cy Young in, 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 his, uh, in his sights. And um, obviously he started to, I don't know, stumble a little bit and was thinking like, all right, I got to figure this out. Um, and especially to be an all-star for the first time. And you could sense the, the relief uh, on, on his face when he first found out. Um, and I mean, having Nestor and his whole persona and his nasty Nestor, his mustache, everything, it just like totally adds to the, to, to the story, to the narrative of, of who Nestor Cortez is. Um, so seeing him super relieved was like just kind of a, a, a nice feeling for all of us. And we all got pumped. And then Clay, I think is by far the funniest. He's obviously the best reliever in baseball. It is like hands down. He knew he was going to be an all-star from like whatever it was a month ago. Um, and when he found out, and I know the video was out there, I think the yes network put it out, might've been the Yankees put it out of him. Just like, yeah, cool. All right. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. It's almost like cringeworthy because it's still your first all-star game. And yeah, you knew you were going to do it, but like, there's no sense of excitement. And that's just who play is. He's like the exact same all the time. He's never going to get high too low. Um, it, it, it was to me like the, exact reaction that I wish I would have because I don't want to be that guy that's like celebrating 
even if it's just a personal achievement, but like celebrating a, a little feat that's not a World Series. And that's exactly what Clay is. He does not care about the, the personal accomplishments. Um, and, and it was almost cringeworthy. And I felt bad for Booney when he said it to him because <laughs> Booney's sitting there like, well, um, all right, like, how does it feel? And he's like, pretty good. It, it was like nothing, nothing crazy. Um, and then it almost seemed like Booney was going to finish the meeting. It was like, oh, yeah, and, and Garrett, he made it as well. And we all knew that six of us made it, but we didn't know who the six were. And that's how he gives Garrett the uh, recognition. And as much as Garrett, uh, how many has Garrett done or is going to now? Uh, let's see here. He's a uh, fifth selection. Fifth, yeah. fifth time. Yep. Um, so, again, it's like a, a normal thing for him. And right, but he gets to go home. That That is big time. We, we yeah. talked about that. Like Stan is another one that gets to go back. Um so and I still don't even know if, if Stan has uh, said he's going to do the home run derby or not, but I, I was shocked originally. And I actually said it to Judgey. I was like, well, why would Stan want to do that again? Like, it doesn't seem like something that um, he's been wanting to do lately. And he's like, well, he's back home. He's going to have like a bunch of family and friends there. So it could be a cool thing to actually participate in the home run derby. And now I, I keep seeing all these people that are um, saying that they're going to join the, the home run. It's probably going to be a pretty good one this year with Acuna doing it. Pete Alonso coming back. Um, I think Pujol said he's doing it. So I, I think it's going to be a, a, a really fun one this time. So I'd love to see if Stanton does it or not. Yeah, in the span of like a week, the home run derby has been the club that everyone kind of wants to get into around baseball. It's wild. 100%. Um, yeah. Pete's actually a, a buddy of mine too. So I've been pumped for him. He went back-to-back, -back, right? Yeah, he's going yeah. for a three-peat. Back-to-back, going for a three-peat. So yeah. I'd love to see Stanton uh, dethrone him. <laughs> And I was going to ask you about the sit-downs in Boone's office that Holmes had, that Cortez and, and Trevino had, because, and you hit on it, I just felt like there were reactions while sitting on the couch with, with Boone. I think I heard Matt Blake's voice. They're obviously off camera, but I just felt like their reactions kind of like encapsulated all three of their personalities perfectly. But the cool thing that I took away from, from Clay's response, he, was, he did say, he's like, I'm glad it was as a Yankee. Yeah. And I think Trevino said, man, if you told me like a year and a half ago that uh, one, I'd be a Yankee and I'd be an all-star, like <laughs> I wouldn't believe you. So it's kind of cool to see and have fans see how much you guys being a Yankee and how much that means to you. And we saw that with, with those two here as they both go to their first all-star game. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, we say it all the time and I've got asked a lot um, because even when I was with the Marlins and it was just the minor leagues, um, my first year with the Yankees was way better than any minor league career I had with, with the Marlins. Um, and there's like the Yankee magic that brings out like the best of you. And everybody was asking Clay when we went back, back to Pittsburgh, like, Oh, what have the Yankees done? That's so much better than Pittsburgh. And like, like almost trying to make him bad mouth Pittsburgh right. and their coaches or analysts, whatever it is. And there's nothing really to say about that. It's not, it, it, it there are so many knowledgeable people in this world. And even with clay, it was, we just upped his sinker usage, but I guarantee you coming into this locker room and having the veterans that are in here, or just like the magic that has gone through this locker room just brings out the best of you. You show up to Yankee stadium and it's a packed house everywhere you go on the road. It's a packed house because everybody wants to see the Yankees. And so you bring a guy in like clay that is very even keeled and very neutral. And I honestly think that the level of, crowd noise or just um, crowd interaction, just up that just a little bit. So now his neutral is a little bit more 
and he, he can, and he keeps it throughout the whole year and he just dominates. I think Trevino is the same way. Trevi's got the, the like magic of feeling the emotion of the crowd and knowing that this is a big spot and knowing when, when he needs to get fired up. It's like the greatest thing in the world when I punch a guy out at the to end an inning and I look and Trevino's fist pumping harder than like Tiger when he wins a master. So it's, it's like, it, it's, it's really cool um, to, to have these guys totally show out um, in, in the pinstripes. One thing before we move on, I wanted to ask about Trevino because when you were first on towing the slab, he wasn't a Yankee. It was, yeah. it was before the season. Oh, I'm kind of wanted to, get your thoughts because you mentioned how he's been just more than a defensive first catcher, but catching and or throwing to him, what is it like from a technical standpoint? And why, why do so many pitchers enjoy throwing to Jose? I think it's a combination of his mental ability and his um, physical ability. So he, I'm not kidding. I, I don't see him in the locker room unless he has his iPad open with his notebook out, taking notes on hitters. So in any moment, you know that he is the one that knows these hitters' swings inside and out, knows how to avoid slug, knows how to get the ball on the ground, knows how to get swing and miss, whatever it is. And it's, it's like a comforting feeling. Um, we, uh, we have two of the best defensive catchers ever. I know Higgy was phenomenal last year and totally brought himself into the starting role last year. And Trevino did the same thing. And, and I was so glad that we went defense first and – had two catchers that could totally handle a staff and are awesome people and awesome students of the game. So Trevino comes in um, with obvious physical talents um, to be able to frame pitches and get in the right positions and throw every runner out and pick off everybody. Um, but also with the knowledge of, of knowing exactly what pitch to throw. Um, and yeah, well, I think he even thought that we were going for just defense first and we were going to, pitch and play defense. And if he can contribute in a little way, that's fine. But then all of a sudden he just introduced himself to the scene. And now I feel like he, he's an extremely tough at bat. Um, and I think it's that Yankee magic because I don't think he did anything different swing change wise. I don't know if he is looking for certain pitches, but it's just, it, when, when you're in that stadium, it just, it, you feel, you feel the noise and, and it's uh, it's really fun to, to make it even louder. Um, and, and he's done that this whole year. Jose has been fantastic on both sides of the ball. 634 OPS career with Texas, 747 this year with the Yankees. So a big jump there above league average, especially at catcher, which is such a defense first position. And behind the plate, eight framing runs plus eight, uh, according to StatCast, by far number one in the major leagues. He's been such a great boost to the staff. And I will say, about that, I think it is so hard to catch our staff. And you think about like, we're all big league pitchers and we're all good big league pitchers, but you have Clay throwing the best sinker in the game. You got Cole throwing four plus pitches in the game. You got Chapman throwing 102. You got Loisga throwing 100. You like Severino throwing You have Michael King throwing uh, ridiculously <laughs> horizontal breaking pitches that cover more than the width of home plate. Yeah, we get it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, but like, if you just look at our, our pitching staff, it seems so hard to catch and he just makes it so much, it seems so much easier. Um, and I always say that the, the best catchers are the ones that go unnoticed and he's done that, but then also he, you notice him because of all this, all this pickoffs, all the like th throwing guys out. That's really the only time you should notice a catcher back there. And unless you really focus in on it and Trevino is, is, is that. 
I think it more than ever. And I know we've said this before here, James, like being a catcher has never been harder than it is right now in today's game. So it's really impressive to see some of the athletes and just some of the overall technicians behind home play around the game. And Jose Trevino certainly emerged as uh, one of the better ones. And he's doing it on a grand stage that I think it's cool. Michael, you bring up multiple times already here. We're about 20, 20 minutes into the podcast. And you're talking about some of the differences that do separate the Yankees from other teams. And it's cool, really cool to hear players talk about the energy that they feel around the building when they're playing at home. That, that, that's a real factor. That's not just a throwaway line. So if you're a fan, you're doing your job too out there and, uh, and keep it going for this group, obviously off to a, a historic start. So uh, Michael, we have a lot to get into uh on term, in terms of topics that you offered up here this week. And I think that was awesome that you were able to do that. So thank you for that. One thing that I thought about, though, is that like a lot of these topics, we would regularly go through them with David. Obviously, we, you know, there, there are no shackles when we talk with David. He's been out of the game. Like we could have free reign here. So these topics are awesome. But I know like this, you know, there, there could be some proprietary info that if like we press, we don't want to get too far in. We don't want to ruin what's going on here. So, uh, you know, take, take the driver's seat in terms of going as deep as you want here, my friend. But, uh, but some topics that you offered up were awesome. And we're going to go through them. And they definitely picked our interest here. So obviously, one of the top ones, and this is something you offered up, was just overall sinker usage and this is something that i think you could hit on personally but also what we're seeing around the game because you've you've said so obviously the numbers say it too in your own usage with the sinker this year um it seems like that's one of the more in vogue pitches this season yet your sinker usage has dropped this year so take us through what has led to some of your other pitches to emerge as some dominant weapons in 2022? Yeah. So I'll kind of tie these two in, in uh, like kind of that in my, and kind of tying it into my slider. So I guess I would say that the sinker usage overall in baseball has increased. Um, and I think that it's the Yankees definitely went for, for sinker ballers. Uh, if you look at like Monty's totally reintroduced to sinker. I don't know if he throws like four seam, at all. I don't know if you can look at those percentages, but I feel like he definitely threw his four seam a lot more last year. Um, even Cole has talked about good throwing a couple sinkers through a couple last year. Um, but then if you look at our bullpen construction, it's Loisaga, me, Clay, uh, Miguel Castro, um, Clark Schmidt when he was up here. Um, trying to think. We, we have a, a ton of sinker ballers. And I think that we are we were a little ahead of the, uh, the times. If you look at home runs hit at the uh, off fastballs at the top rail in the strike zone, they increased from like 2018 every year and month to month they increased. And it was a bit, Adam Adovino was big into to making sure that we knew that um, going in because the new swing was spin rate at the top of the zone, throwing that electric four seam that has that little ride to it. And hitters over time will start to slowly adjust to it. And you could see hitters swing started to more match that plane, trying to get on top of the four seam. Um, and I think that the sinker then became a more effective pitch because everybody in the like 15, 2015 to 18 totally started figuring out that swing of getting underneath and matching the sinker plane. Um, and as, as the hitters adjust, the pitchers are going to have to adjust. Um, and I think that, 
as a staff and as a scouting department, coaching department, we realized that hitters were starting to get to that four seam up at the top. And um, we wanted sinker ballers that could get the ball either on the ground or get underneath that barrel. Um, and then we we talk about it a ton as relievers, especially high leverage relievers, you need to pitch away from slug. So if I'm in a three, two ball game at Fenway, I can't give up home runs. So I can't be, I'm uh, now it sounds like I'm bad mouthing Garrett Cole, Garrett Cole, as much as he has an electric four seam, gives up hard contact at the top of the zone, hard contact at the top of the zone, most likely is going to be in the air. That's home runs as a starter. You can do that. If you look at his dominant 2019, I think it was eight, right? 2019 is one before he came. Yeah. 2019. I think he led the league in home runs and it's, not a bad thing. He, a lot of times it's solo shots because he never walks anybody. He never gives up base runners, but if a hitter does get to his fastball, it's probably going to be a home run. Solo shots don't hurt you unless it's a one run ball game in the eighth inning. And now you have to limit that slug. Um, so I think the sinker ball usage has extremely increased in our bullpen, especially as high leverage relievers, because we want to keep the ball on the ground and make a team get three base hits to, to beat us. Um, and I think it's, it was really cool to see us trade for Castro. Um, even like Joely Rodriguez had one, had a sinker last year. Uh, the, the guys that we went after clay all were guys that put the ball on the ground. Um, and, and I think that we were definitely a little bit ahead of the, of the curve. And I guarantee you, you'll see in a couple of years, hitters start to get back to their kind of lifty swings, get underneath the ball and, uh, and be able to match playing with that sinker. Um, for me and my sinker usage dropping, um, is actually because I, I totally have a lot more confidence in my slider and I've never, I've never had confidence in my slider. Um, I've never been able to spin the ball well. Um, and obviously I know we probably talked about Kluber a ton, um, and, and him helping me, but now I guess I, I see the numbers of my slider. Um, and I, I like them and, and I, I like, I, I like how hitters react to it. Um, and I think that that being my best pitch makes me want to throw it more. And then I can use my sinker to kind of get guys off that, that slider. Um, and I, I just like throwing a little wrinkle in there. So even it's, I'd say it doesn't map out to be a statistically elite pitch to a lefty because it's coming into them. But if I can throw it OO and get a, a take on, on that slider, it's an easy pitch. And it's also like, it's an easy pitch to steal a strike because it's probably going to start as a ball. And it's also a great pitch to get a hitter off of my actual fastball changeup that I'm going to attack a lefty on. Um, and then there are obviously certain lefties that are, aren't great on spin. So I, I use it then. Um, but I guess I've seen the increase in, uh, in poor production of hitters off my slider. And that's why I wanted to throw it more. And the Yankees are very good about finding your best pitch um, and, and making sure that you, that you use it. Um, and I've never had the confidence in my slider to do it until this year. Um, and I think it's totally helped me out. Um, so I, I, I would say that as much as I still want to be a starter, the sinker slider that I'm using, um, is a lot more effective to get ground balls and soft contact and not home runs. So that's why I feel like my slider has been upped a lot. I've still given up home runs on my sinker. Um, and, and uh, I mean, you could see like Altuve clipped me on a, on a pretty good one in off. He's a good hitter. I just got to tip my cap to him. But I'm wondering if I threw a slider in that case, if it's a soft contact, if he gets to the end of the barrel. So um, the certain games, and, and I'm sure you could 
find those stats too of, of if it's a one run ball game, I'm not throwing my fastball as much as I, I normally am because I know that my slider limits the, the slug of, of hitters. Um, and I think a lot of pitchers in our, in our bullpen know exactly the pitch that they can go to for that. And to go back to Trevino, he knows the pitch that we can go to for that. So um, we definitely use those, those a lot um, in those circumstances. Well, just to back up a little bit, to back up what you were saying about uh, you guys throwing more sinkers, the percentage usage for sinkers over the last few years was in the low to mid-teens. Um, this year it's up to 18%, and you highlighted the bullpen in particular. Uh, over the last few years, just for the Yankee bullpen, it was in the high teens, about 20%. This year it's up to 32%. So wow. that's highlighting what you're saying, finding that pitch to avoid slug and to utilize it more, getting better results there. And you're right about your slider. Uh, five for 43, batters of 543. That's a 116 batting average, no homers, 43 Ks. You're doing something right there. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, but yeah, I, and to, to me, like what you just said, I, especially if I get put into a pressure situation, I know that that's my best pitch to get swing and miss on. Um, and so I, if I need some punch outs, I go to that. Um, or if it's just a one run game, I, I can go to that to, to really limit slug. So um, yeah, it's been a good pitch for me. I love how you also said how you, you know, you still want to be a starter down the road, but has the increase in confidence with the slider, has that helped you? And, and obviously having the success that you're having with that pitch, has that helped you embrace the reliever role more? Um, y yes and no. I'd say that because uh, as much as I have kind of done many different roles in the bullpen. Like you'll see a, a three inning outing. You'll see a one, you'll see a one batter outing a couple times. Um, I think that it has allowed me to still get through a full lineup um, successfully, or even sometimes easily when I'm on uh, because I have other pitches that I can go to. Um, and I, I talk about how clay going 29 straight scoreless is one of the most impressive things I've seen because yeah, it was only 29 innings or whatever it is, but that means he had to be on for 29 straight appearances. And it's really hard for a pitcher to be on and also be on in their first inning. Um, I, I think even my, my issue last year when I had some starts was my first inning. I had to settle in. I, I, I needed to see what pitches were working for me that day. Clay has been on every single time. And I know he's like 80-something percent sinker usage, so he really only needs that one pitch. But still, if that one pitch isn't on, he could walk the house. He could throw a yep. middle, middle, everything. And it's really impressive to have him be on every time. Um, so out of the bullpen for me, I know that I need to have that, that, that sinker slider working. Um, but I do have a lot of confidence in my four seam and change up where if those aren't working, I can still get outs there. Um, and, and so then when I look at how I've done this year, I think that's why I still uh, am holding on to the starter role because I feel like I do have four pitches that I could throw and, um, and flip a lineup. Um, and I know that a, a lot of relievers, I remember talking to Chad Green about it because he's predominantly fastball and he'll, he'll mix in a, a breaking ball. Um, he was saying that it's like freeing for me to have four pitches where if in my pregame bullpen, if my slider is terrible or the first batter I face, I can't throw a strike with a slider. I feel like I have the confidence to then get every other hitter out with the, my other three pitches. And Chad will say, yeah, I go out there and I know my fastball is my best pitch. And if I don't have my fastball, it's going to be tough for me to get out. So I got to get lucky that way. Um, so I, I always 
take that uh, mindset into making sure that I have have confidence um, every time I'm out there and not be like wondering, oh, it will, hopefully my slider comes along here. I just throw my other pitches and eventually I'll, I'll find the release point for my slider. That's awesome. So you have, you obviously have more tools in the toolbox and also that probably doesn't hurt that you're hitting triple digits as a reliever now too. I know you did that. <laughs> you did that for the first time this season. What was exactly that like? how I did that. I would have no idea. Um, I, you know, I, my bill has totally been increasing. Um, I'd say over the past couple of years and I, I think it's probably just, um, my delivery cleaning up more than, more than I expected. Uh, I have not changed anything lifting wise or nutrition or mechanically or anything. Um, but it, it's just been coming out a little better. I, it could be the, the fan noise, you know? <laughs> so you think it's more about your, your delivery than the fact that you're able to rear back and kind of let it go because you're working as a reliever. So I, I would, yes and no. Uh, so I, I do agree with you. Um, I think that as a starter, I was always like 91, 94 touch of five. So if I wanted to rear back, couple of years ago, I was hitting a, a seven, possibly an eight. Um, and so now I look at it and when I rear back, I can get up to a nine or a hundred. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot different. And I think that even if you go way back and I'm in 2017, 18, my fastball was always like 90 to 92. So my below increase has happened throughout the years. To your point, I feel like you, because I throw as hard as I can every time out of the bullpen, my average has increased. So then when I want to rear back for trying to get even more, it goes a little bit more. So as a starter, if my average is 92, 93, and I try to rear back, it's 95, 96. Now that my average has kind of jumped up to 95, 96, I rear back and now it's like a, a 98, 99. Um, and then on the really good days or really pressure situations against the Astros at home, it is 100. <laughs> <laughs> and you notice that obviously by looking at the scoreboard, um, I don't know if they had that at Fenway Park. I don't know if you noticed this, James, but I've obviously seen it at Yankee Stadium. I saw it in Toronto when you guys were playing the Blue Jays. Like the scoreboard information is increasing at a rapid rate here. And it's a lot of stuff I think that you guys probably could use in real time. So is this something that's going on around the entire sport or is it just certain stadiums that you're in between like what horizontal break? I'm like, they're showing that that stuff on the scoreboard. It's so cool. Yeah, um, I, I have no idea if many fans um, are seeing or are knowing what they're seeing or even players. I, I think about that all the time and I absolutely love it because I know what I can do. And I know that, let's say, my horizontal break of my slider can get up to 20 to 25 um, and I'll turn around and throw one to I remember doing it to Guriel, I, I, the Astros Guriel throwing a slider at 12 horizontal break that was taken for a strike. And I got kind of a, a little buckle and I turned around and looked and saw it was only 12 horizontal. And I'm like, that's like a, a bad one for me. And he still buckled. I need, I can't go to anything else besides that because I know I can make better. I do. I love seeing a, if I throw a sinker down and into a righty and he fouls on top of it and I turn around and it only has 10 vertical break. I know that I can get it down to two vertical break. So now I think, okay, if you're still on top of my 10 vertical break, I'm going to sink one eight inches further than it was to get fully underneath that barrel and, and, and get a swing and miss. Um, so I love using it to my advantage. I guess I could be uh, throwing out secrets there if you see a bad pitch, but I, I don't know if I, like these hitters don't know my exact numbers uh, as, much as, as much as I do. But um, it's, it's really cool for us to see 
um, and this kind of goes into my new next topic of the de deception on the mound, because you can see pitches that are very average on those board on, on those boards, but get a ton of swing and misses or a ton of ugly takes. Um, and you're like, okay, these hitters aren't seeing this well. And if you look at like even Clay Sinker, if you compare just strictly the numbers, Clay Sinker and Miguel Castro Sinker, Castro probably has like three inches more depth and three or four inches more horizontal. So you think the Castro sinker is the one that is the elite pitch, but clay releases it from, I'm pretty sure it's either six, two or six, five height. Castro obviously slings it from more of a sidearm slot as a hitter. You expect the ball to move a certain way based on how a pitcher releases it. If you're way over the top, like clay is you're expecting it to have backspin and you're expecting it to ride. If you're Castro and you're down here, you're expecting it to have run and sink. So as much as Castro's pitch metrics are actually better than Clay's, Clay releases it from probably a foot higher in the air. And his now net or whatever, his three inches more uh, ride of his sinker than Castro plays like eight inches more depth than Castro's to the hitter because of, uh, of the deception of how high up he throws. The other thing that I thought was, if you look at like Monty's pitches, Monty is such a funky lefty that he doesn't have to have elite pitches to get out. He obviously knows the game really well. He can pitch to all four quadrants of the plate and no sequences can read swings. But if you look at the metrics of a lot of his pitches, they're just a little bit above average. And he's a lot above average pitcher in the big leagues because of how funky his release point is. And it's just tough for a hitter to, to pick it up. Um, and I think that that's kind of the next wave of, of statistics for, for pitchers. That's what I would predict is because if uh, Josh Hader's a, a very good one, low slot ride, JP Sears for us, low slot ride hitters just don't expect the ball to move that way out of those release points. And it's, it's really cool to see bad pitch metrics get swing and miss every time by big league hitters. And it's all because they're not expecting the ball to move in, in that, that certain way. So I, I think the deception that some of these pitchers have plays to them so well. Well, it's instant feedback and it's a way to kind of see how it's greater than the sum of the parts. You mentioned Monty, that super high release point has always been since he came into the league, either at or near the top for highest release point out of any pitcher in the big leagues. Mm -hmm. and, and Andy throws a stinker. And that's what I think uh, if you look at a super high release point, you're probably looking at very close to 12 o'clock on the spin axis, which 12 o'clock spin axis means you're going to get some ride to it, but he throws a sinker. And so even though his sinker is like an average pitch metric, when he throws it from almost seven feet high, it has the deception of like, this thing is a bowling ball sinker or even his curveball. You look at like even Tyone's curveball has 10 to 15 vertical negative 10 to 15 vertical break. Monty's only has like two or three. But Monty's throwing it from seven feet high. So even though it's whatever, two inches of, of vertical depth to it, it is perceived probably a foot and a half because he's that much higher than everybody else's release point. And it's, it's, I love trying to dive in to see why a certain pitcher's pitches are elite. And a lot of it has to do with the approach angle and the, and the um, release point. This has me curious about J.P. Sears. It's something that I was wondering, too, because you look at J.P. Sears. I'm, I mean, he's roughly my height. I'm like 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, I think he's a little bit taller. Give him more credit. I, I usually say he's only like 5'7", so you're good. He's <laughs> probably 5'10", probably but I just uh, joke. Us, us short kings, they don't want to expose one another. Um, <laughs> but but 
you know, a lot of people would probably wonder, man, how does, how does he generate so much velocity with his fastball? And you'd think, Oh, it's mostly, you know, probably like lower body strength and stuff like that. But no, like where, where is his release point? What, where on the clock is his, he, he's yeah. a very low slot. I mean, he, I don't know. On the clock, it's different. Um, that, that's just how the ball comes off your fingertips. It then has a different spin axis. So if you're 12 o'clock spin, it's just straight backspin. If you're 6 o'clock spin, it's, it's total topspin. Um, for him, I know like for me, my height is only 5'7", I'd say, like 5 feet 7 inches. But I release it from 2.5 feet towards third base side of the, of, the, of the rubber. I don't know exactly where he is, but I know he's under 5 feet um, release point, And I don't know how far over to the first base side he is. Um, but being under five feet with any type of ride is incredible. And, and I, I think you, you've probably seen it on the on yes network or even on the video board at, at Yankee stadium, it will actually profile as a sinker. Every time he throws a fastball it profiles as a sinker, but it's forcing. But I'd say the average forcing in the big leagues has like 13 to 15 vertical break. And he throws his at like 12 to 14, which seems like an average four seam, maybe even below average four seam. But because he releases it from a foot below the average slot, it now has perceived a foot more of ride. So I'd say his his 12 to 14 vertical break plays at like 20 to 24 vertical break. Um, and you see it by hitters swinging at balls that are like up at their face, um, which is uh, it's, it's, it's cool to see. That that actually screwed me up uh, filling in on on yes the other week when he made his spot start because you're you're right they all the places uh, that you would look for pitch type even baseball savant they classified his four seamer as a sinker and yeah. it, it it threw me for a loop there and I was questioning myself I'm like did he add a sinker but no it's it's his four seamer yeah maybe that's all also adding to our uh, sinker usage you know <laughs> <laughs> folks the action never ends at DraftKings sportsbook especially this summer with tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports you can feel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before plus right now DraftKings sportsbook is giving new customers a risk free bet up to $1000 that's right make your first bet up to $1000 and if it doesn't win You'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. And just look at next week with the All-Star Game coming up in L.A. You have the Home Run Derby the night before that. It is hot in L.A. with those two events coming up. And there are plenty of bets that you can throw down some change on at the all-star game best of all DraftKings is safe secure and reliable you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want download DraftKings sportsbook app now use promo code slab s-l-a-b to make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to one thousand dollars that's promo code slab only at DraftKings sportsbook minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply see show notes for details one other thing that you want to kind of touch on in terms of the the ebbs and the flows for a pitcher during during a game, maybe going deep in a game, getting pulled early, what what exactly you want to touch on there, Michael? So I've seen a ton of articles um, that people have written about how the starting pitcher usage has totally changed. They don't want to go three times through the order. They're getting pulled earlier to go to the bullpen, um, and 
as much as I do agree with that, like the numbers will say that that definitely happens. I think there are a couple factors into why that's happening and a couple factors into why that's not, it's like going to stop happening, I guess. Um, to start this year, it was after the lockout, a very short spring training, no starting pitcher. I think besides like Scherzer, Scherzer's a, a freak was built up to throw a full hundred plus pitch appearance. Um, so if you look at our April, I'd say not many of our pitchers even got to the sixth inning. Um, and, and, and we had to lean on our bullpen a ton. And then our starting pitchers started to build up and get to be able to throw those hundred pitches and they started getting hot. And so we went through the, our rotation multiple times of them going like six plus every time. Um, and it totally took the pressure off the bullpen. And I think the best teams in baseball, the healthiest teams in baseball are the ones that have starting pitching that can go deep into games. The bullpen arms that are abused, um, that have multiple guys that are throwing 80 plus innings out of the bullpen or have to go multiple times, oh, going back to back to back, uh, going four times in a row. There, there are so many four out of five. Um, ends up hurting your, your bullpen towards the end. And like we said earlier, a lot of bullpen arms only have one, maybe two pitches. So if I'm facing Altuve, whatever, 15 times throughout the year, and then I got to play, play a seven-game series against him and our starting pitching that has four-plus pitches that is only facing Altuve twice in that start, it's now putting a ton of pressure on me to be perfect with those pitches. So – as a, a staff, as a team, I think that we've realized that the best way for us to win playoff games is to limit how many times our bullpen arms are out there in high leverage situations because you have, let's say, a Chad Green that's just four-seam curveball and he's facing Altuve the fifth time in whatever, six days, seven days, seven days. It's very tough for that guy to get him out instead of the starter that can have four different pitches and throw to him, even if it's third time through the order, which statistically says the hitters have an advantage there. So I think you've started to see a couple starting pitchers um, totally take the reins and go hundred plus pitches um, and seven innings all the time, because you have to limit the amount of times that a, a bullpen pitches. The three headed monster at the Royals introduced in what was that? 15, I think 14 and 15, Yeah, 14 or 15 is ideal but you can't have a starter go four or five and then have another bullpen arm pitch the fifth and sixth inning to get it to that three-headed monster. You have to have guys that are going six, six-plus to then hand it off. And I think that as much as we have confidence in a ton of our bullpen arms, you have to have more confidence in your starters to go three times through the order. And we talk about it a ton as a team. A lot of times they'll let, let's say it's Jameson Tyone, throw – into the sixth inning and he pitches to the first four batters of the, uh, of their lineup a third time through, those are their best four hitters. And then they turn it over to the bullpen for five through nine, which technically are their worst five hitters. JMO is pissed every time he gets pulled from that because yeah, it's the third time through the order. And yeah, you expect these guys should be better, but you just let me face their top four hitters the third time through. Why can't I face their bottom five hitters? And that's when the, the bullpen starts to get abused and that's when a team starts to realize, okay, we need to let our starters go deeper. So I think you're, you've seen our, our starters go a lot deeper in the games lately. Um, and I, I think that there probably will be a lull where starters aren't doing as well because that's just how baseball works. Um, but also you'll see 
kind of a, a regression in keeping their workload down just to then ramp it right back up for the September, October, and probably the first week of November um, to, to make sure that they're, they're ready for, for the, the playoff push and, and run. Um, so I, I think that that's going to be a, a, another big story of seeing how starter usage was so little early and it started to like kind of peak and it'll come right back down for probably the month of August and then really peak for, for playoffs. Because I think the only way to win playoff games is to have your starters go deep into games and, and have confidence in them. Well, we've seen innings per start tick up for the season from compared to last year, but we were also seeing it as you would expect ticking up by month. So starters are going a little bit deeper in the games in June and July than they did in in April and May, as, as you'd expect. I'm looking forward to see what the, the usage plan is in something like August, especially for a team like you guys, who's cruising along with it, with a big division lead to kind of taper things off, especially with the starters that you guys have that have had, you know, innings questions over the last couple of years, then you can ramp it back up to, to gear up uh, for October. And we've seen it during the season. There have been pockets where the starters were, were getting roughed up, bullpen carrying more of the load. Then the starters really went on a roll and it's kind of gone back and forth. And I've, I've noticed uh, if you watch the games on yes, uh, our listeners, and you see that chart, uh, the bullpen budget and you see the, the boxes of how often each pitcher has been used. I make that each day for, for yes. And you get a real sense of the ebb and flow of both the starting rotation and the bullpen usage and how it only takes a day or two to go from the starting rotation being really taxed and the bullpen having a light work. And then the other way around and how it can go back and forth very quickly over just a day or two. Totally. Uh, and we definitely feel that in the bullpen. Um, and this is actually one of my all, uh, my three up three downs over there um, was was Lucas Lickey and his performance in, in, at at Fenway. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll touch on that when we when we get to it. But that's to your point, it's exactly what you're saying. I think this is extremely insightful and encouraging for for fans to hear, because if you think back at how the Yankees have exited the postseason in recent seasons, one of the one of the the glaring obstacles I feel was trying to get through difficult portions of their opponent lineup with the same personnel day after day, game after game. And you brought it up like the the example of Chad green really sticks out in my mind of like Chad green being on the mound every single game facing Altuve and Bregman and Chad green is an excellent reliever, but we all know the more times a hitter and a pitcher face off one another, the advantage goes to the hitter. And we're seeing that in the most important game. So it's super encouraging to hear how the organization is trying to get ahead of this. And the cool thing is like, you could come out and say it because there's really no way for an opponent to like try and stop it. Um, no. So, so it's, it's kind of cool that you could say that. And I don't think that, you know, the Yankees are probably not just the organization concentrating on something like this. So this is an interesting wrinkle that we could probably see trend in August and September, like James is saying, and then eventually into October, that's going to be fascinating to watch as, as we get to the postseason. but overall that's been one of the main reasons I feel like the, the Yankees have fallen short a bit in Oct- in recent Octobers. And I think it's really cool that, the uh, the landscape is is rectifying that also because I love starting like we talk about this on the podcast a lot I'm a, I'm a starting pitching purist I want to see them go deeper and kind of restore the the whole stature of what the starting pitcher is 
I think it's a, a marquee position and needs to be highlighted more. And it seems like based on what we have watched over this first half of this season, we're inching closer into that direction, which is really encouraging for the pitching fans out there. Um, all right, let's, let's get closer to three up, three down. Before we do that, James, this week in pitching history, what do you have for us? All right, guys, uh, July 13th, 1999, that's 23 years ago, Wednesday, the All-Star Game at Fenway Park. Before the game, Ted Williams is honored in a pregame ceremony, and it was so awesome to see all the, the superstars of the day swarm around him, a great moment. And then in the game, maybe one of the maybe the greatest all-star performance in MLB history, Pedro Martinez lights it up in front of the home fans at Fenway. He strikes out Barry Larkin, Larry Walker, and Sammy Sosa in the first inning. He comes back out for the second. He strikes out Mark McGuire. Matt Williams reached on an error, but then Pedro strikes out Jeff Bagwell. It's a strike him out, throw him out. It's a double play with a caught stealing from Pudge Rodriguez. A great game, a great moment this week in 1999 that was probably the the all-star event when you take a look at the derby and then the actual game i think for someone my age in their mid-30s like that's the year that stands out the most because the derby was rocking you had sosa you had griffey you had mcguire you had some of the other big boppers but that game with ted williams coming out david touched on it last week asking Mark McGuire, if he smells burnt wood every time he just misses, you know, hitting a pitch and fouling it off on his bat. But the game itself was really cool. Um, and Pedro, I think, was named the game's MVP, if I'm not mistaken. So That's that was right. obviously vintage Pedro. Big Pedro fans here on this podcast. So uh, there, there was a little bit of uh, everything in that year in 1999. And um, Michael, I don't expect you to remember that. You were probably – were you in diapers still or no? Uh. <laughs> I would. Yeah. I mean, probably I was three <laughs> years old, um, but uh, I have seen so many uh, highlights of that. And, and like, that's why YouTube's so great. Uh, I, I've totally, I've seen all, all those innings. Uh, I think that's 100% possibly the best pitching performance ever. And it was only a two inning outing, um, but yeah, extremely impressive. All right, guys, three up, three down here. We like to shed some light on a pitcher for his past performances over the last week or so, or potentially look ahead. Michael, let's go with you first, because you sort of hinted at your selection. What do you have? Yeah, uh, so Lucas Lickie, to the point of uh, keeping the bullpen fresh and, and making sure that chart isn't a ton of Michael King pitches or Clay Holmes pitches. Um, it's a, uh, I think, overlooked um, part of your bullpen. Lucas, when we were playing against the Red Sox on Friday, um, went 3.1, I, I think. And to his point, I don't know if he's ever gone four innings, uh, four ups, um, and absolutely dominated those four. Didn't have anybody else even up in the bullpen behind him. Um, and it was a day that I pitched the day before, Clay pitched the day before, and we were – it's not that we were hurting, but now we can go into Saturday and Sunday totally fresh. Um, and, and it saves the bullpen instead of having, it was a four run game, uh, to start when he first came in. And then it's, I think we added a couple runs to make it a bigger lead, but if he struggled at all, and we then had to go to our, our, our big guys, or just even more guys in the bullpen, um, it, it hurts us for Saturday and Sunday. So an outing that Lucas does like that, and I've, I've done it a couple of times, other people have done it, don't get the appreciation that um that it actually deserves and uh, it was absolutely huge for him and then it was awesome for him because he got saturday and sunday he was down and then today or yesterday was an off day so 
he got his full three day spa spa vacation, um, and and now he's ready to go. So I uh, congratulate him on on an awesome performance. Lucas yeah. has really uh, come around after a little bit of a bumpy start. I think it felt like he got babbipped to death uh, early in the season, um, but his season ERA is down to two seven zero after it was uh, at four nine one at the end of April. So he's really been a, a bit of an unsung hero in the Yankee pen. I'll shed a little light on that too. He is big on trying to find um, good stats to when he's not doing well, when his ERA spiked or whatever it is, he's given up runs. Um, he finds good stats to focus on and be like, hey, at least I was doing this well. And then it slowly starts to, to build into your ERA. Um, and I thought it was a, a phenomenal attitude um, because it, it, for him, it was like his month of April was terrible. And then he was just like, all right, I need to have a good month of May. And and, and then a good month of June and he, and to your, it was all soft contact. You look at the contact quality, it was terrible. So he's like, just keep getting soft contact, keep getting soft contact. And I think it just allowed him to, to keep a positive mindset going into every uh, performance, which then ended up being big for him. And now he's uh, definitely becoming a really good piece in our, in our bullpen. I love that. That's awesome. Young pitchers take notes. That's important. <laughs> keep that goes back to keeping that positive mindset for sure. Uh, yep. James, who do you have? I'm just going to look at the uh, the all-star pitching rosters and try and get a gauge on who's going to start, who's going to get the the honor of starting the all-star game for both leagues. Uh, Shane McClanahan has been awesome in the American League. Um, preseason Cy Young Award pick, by the way. Just put that right. out there. You had it. <laughs> um, and then in the National League, it's it's wide open and it's great. Sandy Alcantara, uh, a friend of the show, is uh, is having an unbelievable year. For the Marlins, but also uh, maybe a tip of the cap to Clayton Kershaw, who might not have the numbers like that this year. He has never started an all-star game before, so that would be a great way to, to honor a Cooperstown-bound uh, guy in his home ballpark. I like it. Uh, I th- it's been a big debate over the last week or so. I'm kind of indifferent, I think, because the game doesn't mean much. You could have a nice moment and have Clayton Kershaw there. Uh, his teammate, Tony Gonsolin, is just as deserving. Sandy, in, in my opinion, is the best pitcher in baseball at the moment. Overall, Michael, what do you um, – are, are players generally happier that the game doesn't count for anything? Is that Has that been discussed at all? Do you get, do you get a sense of whether or not it, it matters that the game has nothing on the line? Is that more enjoyable for the actual players? Um, I, it really hasn't been discussed. I think it's baseball is a tough sport to like ease off the gas. Uh, if you look at football or basketball, there there's, there's defense to be played behind you that you can then just kind of let run, uh, let the, the scores happen mm-hmm. in baseball. It's really like, uh, as a pitcher, you're not going to ever go up there and just lob balls to make it a home run derby. Um, and on defense, you're not going to like not dive after a ball. So I think, as much as there really isn't anything on the line, it's really tough to not play a hundred percent. And so I, I, I'm sure there are going to be some funny things. I think like Liam Hendricks threw a knuckleball um, there. There'll probably be some funny things that way that of guys um, showing that they have a personality, but, and it, because it doesn't matter, but you still want to go out there and perform. So I, I think a lot of guys are going, going to um, play to their best ability. Yeah. I'm with, with the Kershaw debate. Like I said, I'm indifferent, whatever makes everybody happier. I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, it, and that's up to the managers, correct? Right. That's and, one of the few decisions yeah. left up to the managers. Yeah. So it could be Kershaw. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know what, if, if he comes in out of the bullpen to pitch the third inning instead, that'll be pretty cool too in front of, in front right. of the it's still going to be a crowd. sight. It's still going to be a moment that everyone's going to be able to take in. You're right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I have a trio of pitching matchups coming up that look really good on paper. Two are happening today. Uh, the day that this podcast episode is being released. So Wednesday night coming up Cardinals Dodgers cards are, hosting LA Tony Gonsolin's on the, the mound here. He's uh, he's starting on the road against Adam Wainwright and Wainwright's home ERA 2.21 is whips just a, a tick above one at home. Gonsolin, as we know, undefeated 11 to no with a one six two ERA. So that's a cool matchup there. The Astros and the angels going at it with Christian Javier opposing Shohei Otani. Javier's kind of trying to bounce back after a rough one. He gave up three homers against the Royals, but overall he's been, very good in 2022. Otani, what else can you say with him? He hasn't allowed an earned run in five straight starts, so it's a good pitching matchup. And then Thursday in the Bronx, Nestor Cortez Jr. takes on the Reds and Luis Castillo in a battle of all-stars. And uh, I'm sure no one is going to mention that Luis Castillo could potentially be traded to the Yankees as he's making that start, whether it be on the Yes Network or on the radio broadcast or just in the media in general this week, but overall three awesome pitching matchups just days ahead of the all-star break. So it's something to look forward to here as we get moving toward LA and the all-star festivities this weekend, guys, guys, I need to tell you about one of my favorite places to dine out. That is bear burger. And when this ad read popped up into my inbox from John boy media, I was genuinely stoked because I love going to bear burger. And a big reason why is I love options when I go out to eat. And Bear Burger, their slogan literally is something for everyone. Yes, even you. So if you are a picky eater, if you don't eat meat, there is still something for you on the Bear Burger menu. I go there. I like their Hudson salad. I don't prescribe to the bun, even though they have tasty looking pretzel buns. But I like their Hudson salad. You can get any type of protein you want. I usually go with the all-natural bison burger. So I get a bison burger tossed into with my bowl of baby greens, some smoked bacon, a little blue cheese, sunny side egg. You throw in some avocado, grape tomato, red onion. I love it all, but there are a ton of burger options. They have your organic beef, turkey burger, bison, like I mentioned. You can get a chicken burger. There's an impossible burger, black bean burger as well. So they have really cool twists on some options for you, whether you have dietary restrictions, if you're 100% vegan, it is all there for you at Bear Burger. A quick reminder, their Bear Burger Kitchen and Bar, the happy hour, it is the best in New York, 12 to 7 p.m. Monday through Friday. Like I mentioned, bison burgers are there. They have elk burgers, ostrich burgers, so there's a little bit of an exotic side if you're into daring greatly with your food. Uh, also, they have bar bites at the Bear Burger Kitchen and Bar. All food items, just $9.95. And the bar bites available Monday through Friday, 4 to 7 p.m. Lunch specials as well in the Bear Burger Kitchen and Bar. That one's from 12 to 4. But I love options. I know there are people like me out there who enjoy endless options as well. Somehow, I only always go back to ordering the same thing. I'll every now and then, change it up. But for me, like I said, that salad with the bison burger, it is money and you should try it there too. Click the link in the description to find yourself at your favorite new happy hour spot, your burger joy, your luncheon, whatever you want to do it. Bear Burger is open to all options for all. It is 
one of my favorite places to go. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. Quick question. Shohei Otani, player to player, your thoughts. As, as, as much of like a savant of pitching that you have come off to be here on Toe in the Slab, what do you think of Otani overall? I, I don't understand how he is not the MVP every year. I, I like yeah. I was even talking about it when Judge was still hitting 310 with like an 1100 OPS. If he finished the year there, I still think Otani wins the MVP. It's like there, there has to be a new award for Otani because like, the Angels are playing with one extra pitcher, basically, because you have a position player that can, that can pitch. Um, it, I know they've already changed it with the Otani rule and the DH, but like even if you're very average at hitting and pitching, you are still more valuable than any other p- player in the, in the league. And he's way above average at hitting and pitching. So now it makes him like easily the MVP every year. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, It's, it's fun to be um, on the field while while he's still here and and not just being it like watching it on TV or or seeing it in the past. It's, it's absolutely unreal. And uh, I think he's a joy to watch. Awesome. All right, man, we've reached the finish line here. Uh, was were, were the nerves worth it? Were, were they, did they live up to the hype here? How did, what, what do we think? No, it was good. I know I can't fill in uh, Coney's shoes, but uh, I, I, once I started talking, I, I, I know I can ramble a little bit, so I, I, I totally lost the nerves. You did a fantastic job, man, and you are, you're <laughs> certainly welcome back anytime, especially when David's back, because just having David and, and someone else that, you know, appear within the game just – sit back and talk pitching the job's really easy for james and i because we kind of turn into fans right right james and we just like to listen yeah yeah we this, this fill-in appearance this relief appearance was three shutout innings so yes. uh, nicely done yes thank you thank you, you get you get the automatic save put that in the chart too that I <laughs> <laughs> michael thanks so much for filling in here this week it was fun for us and that's going to do it for this episode guys thank you for tuning in Michael, like we said, you're welcome to come back uh, if we haven't scared you away here. And we we hope you enjoy next week, whether it's on the beach at LBI or hopefully, fingers crossed, still at Dodgers Stadium. Thanks again, man. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks again to our amazing producer, Dan Rourke. New episodes of the show drops each and every Tuesday or on Wednesdays here during the season. Rate, review, subscribe. Best way that you can support the show here on Toe on the Slab, pitching with David Cohn. As always, it is a production of John Boy Media. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. Take care.